This is Coda Radio, episode 93 for March 17th, 2014. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our three fantastic sponsors, GoDaddy, Ting, and DigitalOcean. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this fantastic show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Mmm, Misa gonna pour paint all over Chris's body. What? <laughs> this got weird. Top of the Irish to you there, Jar Jar. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Mmm, <laughs> green paint. Uh, that was not Jar Jar even close. That was oh, like Mickey creepy guy from Family Guy. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I, you know. I was going for Jar Jar. It's, it, it evolved. I, there was, I, there, it refactored. Something you'll learn about me, Mr. Dominic. I know it's only been 93 weeks, but I default to Jar Jar. I default Jar Jar. I, Let me just, tell you, Chris, I had this stream about Jar Jar. Oh, I'm sorry. Some people oh. complain that they listen at work. Oh, um, right, right. You know what? Let, let, me, let me just, let me, let me just, let's take a congressional view. Okay. Um, do you remember about two years ago when that senator was in that men's room in the airport? Yeah, the toe, the, the toe tapping guy. Jar Jar, Senator Palpatine. <laughs> Scandal revealed right here on Coda Radio. Scandalous. Scandalous. <laughs> hey, so uh, I wanted to say it is St. Patrick's Day and St. Patrick's Day today, and I want to say happy anniversary to the wife, Angela. It is our oh. wedding anniversary today. So that explains why a, a nice-looking girl like Angela married you. She was drunk. It was St. Patrick's Day. Hey, okay. man, you gotta. You know what I say? Never, uh, never waste an opportunity. That's hey, you take a win when you can get it. That's I right. Understand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, I don't know about you, Mr. Dominic, but it's a big week here. The JBHQ. I don't know what's it. How's it out there on the East Coast branch? A big week well, for over you guys. Here at Fingertip Tech HQ. It's a huge week. We've got our new sales guy starting today. No, really. Yeah, we're you know we're ruining the intergalactic senate. We have all kinds of stuff going on here. Well, uh, I think I, this I don't know. That's pretty good. Yours is pretty good. Here's mine. Uh, Rikai, our new editor, is in the air right now as we record this. After we're done, I'm going to hopefully get this edited and published on time, and then I'm going to jump in my vehicle and drive down and pick him up. He's in the air right now, on his way to Jupiter so, Broadcasting. What is your hazing plan for Rikai? Well, I. Uh, so this this is the other part of the big week. Um, I you know I've been working with contractors to get the studio up to snuff. You know I got a lot of electrical work that needs to be done, a lot of Ethernet. We're gonna have a lot of workstations in there, uh, and the guy like totally fell 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 through on me. And so well, the studio is, is empty. So you guys gonna show up to a totally empty house, <laughs> like nothing, not even a table or a chair. <laughs> So that's the hazing he gets because. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. What did you actually hire him to do? He's going to be editing, but you no, know, I mean the contractor. Oh, oh, well, this guy was supposed. So here's it. So we need a bunch of work done, which is going to involve cutting walls and running a bunch of stuff. So we haven't put the furniture in yet because we need to get the carpets cleaned. But we're not going to get the carpets cleaned until all the drywalls done, done being cut. And so it's just one thing after another. And so the whole place is totally empty right now, except for there's a Wi-Fi router in there and a and a cable modem connection. <laughs> You should have called me. I have a guy named Orlando who just straight up puts up walls, tears wall down less than 10 minutes. Really? Yes, well, he's put up a wall that we lovingly call the apartheid at Fingertip Tech HQ. 
<laughs> it keeps all the filthy Linux users away from me. Wow. Remember how you used to run Linux like two weeks ago? <laughs> uh, Chris, I was young. And I was. I wasn't. I needed the money. Um, um, Let me tell you, you know, about my night, though. Let me tell you about my evening because this oh. is nuts. So I have a Fitbit, and it sleeps. It tracks my sleep. And does uh, that actually work? What? The, which part? The fit. The whole thing. Well, um, you know, it's about seventy percent. I'd say. I'd say seventy-five, eighty percent. It's it's definitely it's it's at the threshold where I've considered dropping it a couple of times uh, because it just is not enough. Uh, but one thing, I I suffer from sleep apnea, which I've generally it's gotten better over the years, but recently it's gotten really bad again. And uh, so I use it to track my sleep. And I have I'm showing it on the video version right now. I have not gotten very good sleep for the last few nights. I actually am surprised that I'm as functional as I am uh, because there's not even a thirty minute window. Uh, in the last two nights where I was actually asleep for more than 30 minutes. All right, Chris, let me let me just jump in here. Um, I'm going to solve all your problems. All right. You take a shaker, fill it halfway with ice, get Hendrix gin, very important that it's Hendrix. You get Grey Goose vodka. You get a half a part of uh, vermouth and a half a part of Lillet. Don't, get, don't go cheap on the Lillet. <laughs> Put that all in the shaker. You shake that bad boy up, have five of those, you'll sleep like a baby. <laughs> Wow, wow, really? Inappropriate? I would say totally appropriate. Well, so last it's night St. Patrick's Day, people. That's true. Good point. Oh man, and I was I was not gonna have a single drink today just to see if that helps with the sleep. But it is St. Patrick's Day. So there I'm there I am. I go to bed at about nine forty five last night, trying to get a good night's sleep. Well it's windy here, or it was last night in the Pacific Northwest. Beautiful Pacific Northwest. Now we have a nice right. beautiful blue sky. But last night it was windy and our alarm starts to count down. You know, like you've got 30 seconds to enter the code before I, you know, sound the alarm, call the police, that kind of thing. And we're laying in bed and all of a sudden our alarm starts going off, which is pretty startling in the middle of the night. But we had left the garage door just cracked like a smidge and the wind popped the door open. But I took me quite a while. Like, you know, is that really what caused it? Can I really go back to sleep? So it just totally nuked last night, too. So, now, now, Chris, my understanding is that as the hardcore Tea Party conservative that you are, you have <laughs> at right. least an AK-47. So what do you need the alarm system uh, for? Let's just go with yes. So that way it's on record that I, I am down as a yes to leave doubt in people's mind. <laughs> I've heard unfiltered. You, um, I, I could hear the teabagging going on. Boom! You know, uh, yeah. yeah, and I have dogs too, vicious dogs. I want you to know that uh, Zach RPM is in the same room as me. He keeps looking at me with horrified expressions on his face because well, all he can hear is teabagging and AK forty seven. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what's great. You're you're the best kind of coworker. You're not distracting at all. <laughs> no, productivity is great on Mondays. Let me tell you. So uh, Nexus writes in uh, with uh, one of our first emails in response to uh, last week's episode. He takes issue with our automatic assumption that community driven means abandon. He says, "Hey, Mike and Chris, I'm listening to Coda Radio ninety two, and I keep hearing y'all say that once a project is community driven, after being strongly backed by a corporation, it's basically dead." I remember thinking that, too, back in 2001 when Red Hat did that as well. But look at the Fedora project now. We may not see where the Persona project will end up right now, but I see there's even more room for it to grow into something that the Mozilla Foundation never would have been able to imagine. Just my two cents. Pronounced Nexus, not Nexus, Chris. So uh, you probably would pretty confidently fall in that camp of once a company open sources something, it's pretty much... Abandoned. Like, where didn't that happen with TextMate recently or one of those Mac editors? Yeah, and, and TextMate is um, pretty much dead, right? <laughs> I 
mean, there's a few people who use it because they're in love with it, but most of the Mac guys have moved over, if they were TextMate people, to Sublime or actually GitHub just released a uh, text editor called Atom, which I'm using the beta version of, which is really nice. Huh. Uh, so the Sublime guys. And I assume it Mac- ties in with Git. Yeah, really easily. Yeah. And GitHub, actually. It's Mac only, so that's kind of. Oh, jeez. You know the Mac. You know the Mac is really getting um, a lot of development attention these days. From like yes. people are making stuff for developers. I hate those companies that make dev tools only. It, for uh, <laughs> oh right, that's I forgot. Get it out of here. It's negative in the freedom uh, dimension. So it, they're doing an open. It, their their editor is open source, though. Um, Read write web says well, sort of not really. Um, they say not. It's not. They say they say it's not really open source. Yeah. The, I, so I looked at it. It's it's do we, is open core still a term we use? Open core. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Where the ago? where the internal like engine is open source or whatever the the core bits. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not even sure if that really applies, but that's the closest term I can think of to what this GitHub editor is. I'll also add that the TextMate um, is also not completely open source. It's still kind of open core. Well, so uh, back to the main question, you know, I also can think of a few fine examples of stuff. um, Like if we want to go way back, actually, uh, there was a company called Easel and they were developing a whole suite of desktop services around the GNOME desktop. An online storage back end, much like you see today with Dropbox or Ubuntu One or even uh, OneDrive, or a.k.a. SkyDrive. Uh, they were way ahead of the game with an integrated software management system. Um, and I think some of the Zamerian guys are branched out of this whole endeavor. And anyways, they had an awesome file manager called Nautilus that they created that they felt was a much better file manager for the GNOME desktop. Well, when they collapsed as a company... They tossed that out to the open source community and said, here, here's our file manager. Take it if you want it. And, you know, to this day, it is now called Files under the GNOME desktop. It is still, uh, this has got to be, what, eight years later, nine years later, it's still the file manager for the GNOME desktop. And the open source community made it a lot better. I, but I think it might be the exception. I mean, a lot of times when you see this stuff put out yeah. in the pasture, there's a lot of technical debt. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously, you know, a statement, all projects that are abandoned by corporations, you know, are dead is, is obviously false, right? Because it's an all statement. Right. Um, but there are far more cases where that is true than cases where that is not true. And in the case of Mozilla Persona, I don't think anybody thinks that's got legs. I mean, it didn't have legs when Mozilla supported it, despite, you know, us on this show and a number of other people similar to us being very interested in it, it as a project and a product, Persona did not align with anybody's corporate interests, monetary interests. Now, what do you think about something like WebOS, like Zane's pointed out in the chat room, where WebOS uh, has been has been sort of turned over to the community? It's still being yeah. used. So I really liked WebOS. If you remember, I had one of those HP. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, they, they they were called like a rock. It wasn't called a rock though. Um, no, you, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the Pebble. Yeah. The Pebble. Did you have pebble. the Pebble? The last one they made uh, was the it was the big black one. Wasn't that called Pebble? It was called Pebble. Pebble? I think Whatever. It was Pebble. But I, I mean, I thought WebOS was pretty good. But what happened? Right, it didn't get adoption, and a lot of the ideas from WebOS have just been taken over. Yeah. Having and said that, LG did just put out a WebOS. I think television. Yes. yes. Now it's being used. It's being used, but it's being used in much different aspects and. 
Yeah, uh, it, it really, I think it depends on A, the need that that project fulfills and the demand that's out there. Like, is there are there people looking to solve a problem? And B, how much technical debt that thing is going to bring with it. And it might, it's one of those things where a lot of times developers will look at that and go, oh, screw that. You know what, the, with that much work, I would rather just build it the way it should be built from the right. ground up. And to be fair, I mean, I, you know, I don't hate open source. I obviously open source code. I use open source all the time. It's just a question of, for the audience, are you willing to invest time in something that failed with the backing of a large corporation? I think in the cases of Red Hat, that's a little different, right? They strategically made it a community project. And Fedora does actually struggle to this day to sort of find what its position is. In fact, it's going through a big restructuring process right now. They're going to call it Fedora next because they they haven't quite found their groove. I remember when I was a more enthusiastic Linux person, Fedora was the crazy bleeding edge distro. Right, yeah. And now I feel like, even in this office, the folks who are the crazy Linux people, and I use crazy, you know, endearingly, are on Arch. Woo! Right? Those are my boys. What's up, guys? You guys know what's up. And they just say Fedora is kind of, you know, passe. Like, Oh, ouch. Yeah. I mean, I I hate to undersell it because it is good on its own. Uh, I used um, to run it. I mean, I think it's kind of a, a trend thing in the community, right? Fedora was somewhat popular for a while, and now Arch is... I mean, Arch or the Arch derivatives, Integros, has definitely taken its place. Yeah, it is interesting how that's happened, especially um, uh, uh, just in, I think, the last year or so. It's really picked up pace. Um, and so I don't think it, I don't think you can condemn Fedora, but I think you could say it's not a... It's it's a success. It's not a runaway like darling of the desktop Linux it, space. It's not a tier one desktop Linux right. competitor anymore. And and nobody's so. rushing to put Fedora in production. I mean, right. it does happen. Happens probably more than it should. But it, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, speaking of putting things in production, why don't we talk about putting a new .dot com into production? Why? Because we have got a great deal right here on the Coda Radio program. If you use our sponsor GoDaddy.com, use the promo code. Get ready for this. Coder 349 get you a .com for $3.49. Maybe you've got a great idea for a business and want to start selling your products or services online. Maybe you've established, you're an established business owner looking to find new customers, or maybe you're interested in starting a personal website. No matter who you are, GoDaddy wants to help you kick ass online. And right now, GoDaddy is offering a .com for just $3.49. It is go time, my friends. Start your website today. Visit GoDaddy.com and enter promo code Coder Radio or Coder 349 Just Coder. 349, all one word, to get a $3.49.com. There are some restrictions, so just go see the website. They got them linked right there. And if you can't, if there's something really wrong with your brain, like if you, if you haven't had enough coffee or enough sleep like me, um, or you've, you've had, you're a few in right now, uh, just if you can't remember Code of 349, just remember that we have a website. <laughs> and then you can just click on any episode, and right there in the banner, especially the most recent one, we will have the banner for GoDaddy. You click that, pre-charges your shopping session, and you can get a .com for $3.49. So a big thank you to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. Chris, can I tell you about the sweet domain I bought right after the live show last week yeah, on GoDaddy? Yeah, totally tell me about it. Fingertip.technology. I mean, come on. That is a really good one. Did you know that there is a domain rms.sexy? No, but I need to make that my homepage. Yeah. yeah. What is the AOL keyboard for this domain? Uh, I think you just put RMS and then uh, it just takes you there because, I mean, why would you want to go anywhere else? Yeah. Uh, okay, so we got another question. Uh, this one comes in from Dylan. He says, I have a small question. I'm relatively inexperienced with the current model of Android and iPhone development. 
I'd like to get into the field, but as an old school developer, I despise doing the same job twice. I prefer having one shared library code that implements the bulk of the code while abstracting the UI code into the wrapper application, which handles the work figuring out what system calls to make and read. How do how do I uh, you know how to make buttons on the screen, <clears throat> etc. So on a previous episode, you made reference to the fact that on mobile projects you reuse the same model and just write custom view controls for each platform. How is it accomplished without writing Objective C model and then a Java model? Do you compile shared mo- uh, model libraries into a single .so file and then have it linked according to the underlying target platform? I know that you don't use MonoDevelop to handle this abstraction, given your previous distaste for it. Thanks for the answer and keep up the great show. Dylan, I like that name. It's a good name. Good name. So there's a few ways that could be accomplished. Um, one is C++. I mean, that's not great on Android, but it's doable. So I think, I think I might not have been clear. I don't use a lot of cross-platform code for iOS and Android. In the cases I have, it's almost been because, or it's usually been because there's some sort of engine that's kind of the brains of the operation that was written in like C++. That can be modified and ported from one to the other. Um, in your standard small app case, if they're both native, it's straight up both native, right? One thing I have been looking at, and I've done a couple demos with, is Xamarin, which is basically MonoDevelop. But they've actually gotten a lot more mature. And what they're offering is you write your models, you write your logic, and then you just write a separate UI for each. It's okay. Their licensing is little expensive yeah my problem with xamarin <clears throat> is um they uh they seem like a schizophrenic company to me like they seem like they're a bandwagon hopper and uh they 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 really push something and then they kind of change i see i guess what i'm trying to say is i've seen this company change course about three or four times now and, yeah. and that's not necessarily a bad thing it means being willing to pivot into something that you know is profitable and sustainable is is respectable but you also then, you know, it can raise red flags as in if I start to depend on this to make my living, to sell an application, to support a client, are they going to pivot on me again in the future? Well, I mean, for me, tools like this, I mean, Xamarin has the uncomfortable thing where it's like $1,000 per platform for a license. Um, and that's supposed to be per publication, right? Hey. I wouldn't say that you should go be a Xamarin consultant, <laughs> but certainly, you know, um, here we've deployed people phone gap apps, even though we usually recommend against it. Right. Yeah. I was going to ask you about phone gap because yeah. I know like, it's like you don't, you don't necessarily like it, but you've been using it a few times. Well, it makes sense for a lot of cases where this is just a POC or proof of concept and the person's budget's extremely constraint limited, right? But they want something that they can try out both on iOS and Android. Or God forbid, Windows Phone. Have you know? It's I, I don't. I think the question you're you're trying to uh, ask, or the writer is trying to ask, is why is there so much inherent inefficiency in mobile development? And my two cents, and I don't know if this is provably true, is that mobile is relatively immature compared to mm. pretty much everything else. And it's it's it is more controlled by the platform owner yes. than any previous widespread platform we've had. I mean, if you look at software <clears throat> deployment on Windows, much more um, porous to get your software on there. A lot more options. You look at deploying applications on the web. You know, a lot more options. A lot more open there. Uh, same with you know Linux and even the Mac desktop. 
Uh, but now, now you've got these ironclad gates on the iOS platform and on Google. You know, there's very specific ways to do things to make it look right. And at the end of the day, if you use any of these intermediary tools and don't have a really precise native quote unquote feeling application, you suffer in user reviews. So there's there's even like there's even like the invisible hand of user based pressure. Yeah, there's a. I mean, if budget's not an issue and time's not an issue, doing the code duplication makes a lot of sense. Um, and I don't think this is something that happened, you know, during the desktop boom, right? Everybody was quickly looking for, oh, I don't know, Java based tools, VB based tools, kind of cross platform stuff. Right. I, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think we are getting closer to, for a lot of cases, HTML5 in particular. Mark Shuttleworth just had, uh, just, right. they just had the developer summit, and Mark Shuttleworth said that uh, he's extremely excited about the future of HTML5 applications and thinks it's going to be a major right. source of the best apps on Ubuntu Touch. I, I mean, I'm not sure I would go quite that far, but for the business-to-business market, for the non-commercial you know commercial hip startup market, mm-hmm. A lot of the times, that compromise experience of HTML5 is good enough. All of the, you know, all of the uh, enterprise build this for ourselves, for our own sales right. reps to use, our own inventory management, or whatever it is that people build themselves or hire contractors to build for them. Uh, you know, look at the technology they've been using in the past, and now if you just look into the future and see what the kind of the standard platform technology is going to be, I think you've nailed it. I think for right. that class of users. You know, it doesn't have to be that native app. It it can oh, just here's work. the thing: when you're replacing an old ass VB script application, your HTML5 phone gap or whatever you're doing. I mean, if I'm assuming they're moving from desktop to mobile or what we whatever, is really slick to the users, right? Because it's so much better than what they had before. But do you know how many? Do you know how many uh, central core applications to businesses I've seen that were like? DOS applications just rewrapped in a Windows wrapper, and like you still yeah, have all the time. Yeah, yeah. So they really when you're when you when you have to do, use this application as part of your job, it is striking how much how little consideration is given to the UI. <laughs> enterprise software is the worst. It's going to yeah. be you know you think about it. This is going to be a whole new generation of much better enterprise software. Really, well, the thing about this will you know right now will these HTML5 JavaScript applications be the VB6 applications for the next uh, crop think, of developers to bitch about? And it could last just as long, right? And it's much more universally compatible. I mean, one thing I've been particularly concerned with is WebKit lock-in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Google's helping you with that. Oh, they're they're hooking me up with that. Yeah, they're breaking away from WebKit. And of course, you know, Firefox is still going strong. Yeah. Eh, maybe. Don't forget about that Triton engine. Everybody loves Triton. I, I would like to really talk about the Chakra engine. <laughs> I'd like to tell you about the Spocker engine, actually. Oh god. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, how about how about we get an email from Brad? Uh, he has thoughts on ease.js. And um he writes in, he says, uh, hi, Chris and Mike. Recently, the GNU, dot, the GNU ease.js project changed from LGPL version 3 to just straight up GPL version 3 in an attempt to eliminate non-free JavaScript entirely from the web. Ease.js is a JavaScript framework which has an agenda to use the copyleft nature of the GPL to force all JavaScript files on a site to be copyleft. Since other libraries like CoffeeScript, jQuery, and MooTools are free software, why would anybody switch to a less mature library that imposes a more restrictive license? Do you think that Ease.js is going to gain traction in the world, or does it 
only cater to a very small and elective group with an agenda. Thanks again for the great show, and I look forward to episode 100 shirts. Now, he's assuming there. More on yes, that in a second. No one, no one said anything about shirts. Um, uh, so this sounds like the, the one of the most brilliant Linux user trolls emails we've gotten in, in yeah. months. <laughs> uh, uh, marketing bait, right? Mm. kind of meaningless to me. I mean, they got Pharonix to write an article about them, so congratulations. Yeah, I yeah, it could be just sort of to, you know, raise attention to the issue. Um, I doubt it. I don't think people start something like this just to to try to get people talking on Pharonix. I think uh, you know, I think there probably is people that really uh, you know, we talk about, you know, it could be a new it could we we could be entering a whole new world of lock-in. I think is what some people out there are worried about. Right. Um, you know, we've always thought of lock-in as in .doc and .xls and .quickbook files and, and Photoshop files. But there could be a new form of lock-in where applications are utterly dependent on a very complex back-end infrastructure or back-end code structure that is completely isolated off from the user. And so even if you're browsing that application on an open-source desktop with an open-source web browser using only open source video drivers and all of that, at the end of the day, you're still connecting to platforms and relying on platforms that you have very little control over and no access to the source over. And maybe that's just, you know, I think there's a group of people out there that don't like that. But I think Brad nailed the core issue here is when you have things like CoffeeScript and jQuery, um, that not only not only is there just massive momentum there, but he, like he also said, the maturity on uh, on that side you know you just a lot of people wouldn't bet the farm on something as as less mature like that yeah i mean i, I don't think that's going to have a tremendous impact on anything yeah at all as you know i'll i'll keep my yeah. i'll keep my eye out for it so one last question uh and before we wrap up the feedback segment uh this one came in from i'm going to say namiz namiz writes in and he says uh i he had a question about docker he says i've been enjoying docker on my develop machine and uh, it'd really be perfect way to deploy my production dependencies and environments. Makes sense. That said, they still really caution against using any type of production environment on their site. Has anyone used it and experienced any reliability or crashing issues or even worse, security vulnerabilities? And Mr. Dominic, have you got a chance to use Docker in production yet? Uh, I have on something very, very small. <coughs> it works fine. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've gone over these type of questions time and again. I'm pretty conservative, so yeah. no, I'm not deploying any serious client infrastructure on Docker. They are like really that. close to 1.0, and they're doing yeah. a month of release or a release a month right now. Um, that said, I know um, there's quite a few people in our community that are using it in production. Um, so yeah, I know I know plenty of people who are, and I hear about them, uh, particularly in the Jupyter Broadcasting crowd. You know, it's my arbitrary rule: if it's not 1.0, I won't deploy it. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's fair. Um, so you just have to, you know, Nam is you just have to decide where you're at on that spectrum. And if you're a little more risk tolerant, um, I think even if you're just slightly more risk tolerant, it's probably ready. Uh, yeah. I would be really surprised. I think at this point you have to worry more about. See, the fundamental thing about Docker is Docker is relying on technologies that are baked into the Linux kernel, and those are proven. And those have been tested for a long time. Docker is sitting on top of that. And that's why you have a pretty low risk. And there's not, unless they came around and really changed something at that top layer, you're going to be pretty safe. And at this point, when they're so close to a 1.0, I just don't see that happening. But I do agree. If this was, you know, something I had to run in a critical production environment, something people were paying for, 
I'd probably wait till 1.0 as well. Uh, but I do love Docker. I've been using it. And one of our sponsors this week will help you deploy Docker, and that is DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is a cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a cloud server in 55 seconds and pricing plans. Start at only $5 per month. That gets you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte, yes, a terabyte of transfer. DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, and Amsterdam. They have a simple interface, very intuitive control panel, and power users can replicate that control panel on a larger scale with their straightforward API. Here's the best part. We're going to get you two months for free if you grab that $5 box. Use the promo code Coder Radio March. Coder Radio March will get you a $10 credit, let you play with that $5 machine. Why don't you go up there and deploy a Docker instance and try it? DigitalOcean has this whole droplet system where they have ready-to-go systems, either completely base, you know, like Fedora, Arch, Ubuntu, Send, things like that, or you can deploy them with maybe the LAMP stack already loaded. Or maybe you want the latest Ubuntu with the absolute latest build of a doc with Docker. Click one button, deploy that. You can get that thing spun up in 55 seconds or less. Pretty awesome. And DigitalOcean is growing like crazy these days. If you go over to DigitalOcean.com, click that hiring tab. They are looking for folks, and maybe there might be a gig out there for you. Go try out DigitalOcean. They've got that great, easy-to-use control panel. You'll be amazed at how fast you can spin up a cloud server that you have root access to that has incredible performance with their Tier 1 bandwidth. And those SSD drives combined together is so awesome. Their snapshot system lets you take snapshots before you make any big changes. So that's really good. Gives you peace of mind. They have an HTML5 web console, two-factor authentication, one-click install of WordPress, and hourly pricing. Go get, go get, it, go get yourself an SSD cloud server over DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CODERADIOMARCH to get it for two months. See what I've been talking about. And then later on down the road, like if you start to grow... You'll really appreciate things like that API they make available. So a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. I love my DigitalOcean droplet. And now that I am moving into the new studio, I have all kinds of ideas for that for what that thing can do as an intermediary between the two offices. Uh, all right, we got a couple of things we got we to gotta talk about this week in the hoopla section here. Uh, and the first one I want to start with just to kind of warm us up is uh, it's kind of, this is kind of like our appetizer. So it's leaked now, and The Verge has some great shots of Amazon's new controller for a set-top box. Um, if you're familiar with the Ouya controller, it's like the Ouya controller and the Xbox controller got together and made Whoopi, and then they had a baby, and it's this controller. Um, and it maybe isn't the prettiest baby. <laughs> oh, so mean. Uh, here's, the, here's, here's, like the, here's the diet. Here's the deets. Um, these images were first posted uh, on a blog, they came from a Brazilian regulatory agency that's similar to our FCC. The controller has three central buttons that look like an Android back home and menu keys. You can probably see those if you're watching the video version. That is a big warning sign to me. And a button beneath it that bears the logo for Amazon's Game Circle, which is their cloud-based, you know, cloud-save leaderboards and achievement system. It's suggested that the unnamed box will run a fork of the Android OS, just like the Amazon Kindle and Fire tablets. Those tablets, just like those tablets, it'll act very much as a storefront for Amazon, offering a wide selection of games, movies, and books. It's likely that Amazon will attempt to leverage their large content offering with the launch of the set-top box. The Amazon TV box is apparently was apparently planned for holiday 2013, but then they pushed that back. And the most recent rumors suggest the official release announcement is imminent. So, Mr. Dominic, are you already uh, feverishly coding your first Amazon console app? 
difficult to express how little I care about this. Yeah. Um, I thought we proved that this was a bad idea with the Ouya. Well, so is this Ouya reheated, you think? I feel like this is not even like Ouya reheated. This is Ouya, you put it in the microwave, and then you blew a fuse, which actually happens in my house. And so you, it's kind of reheated, but it, it's still now, cold. I want to I want to travel back in time right here, and I want to go okay. back to the pre Ouya launch where you were. Uh, didn't you even contribute to the Kickstarter? Yeah, and I was. De- I, I, so you so got I'm a developer unit. There. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were excited about the Ouya, and you saw a lot of potential for indie games. Yep. Um, why doesn't the Amazon set top box offer that same thing only now with a company? That has a storefront that they can pull the purse strings on to but incentivize develop to incentivize large the, developers. It's because of the ooyah, right? We we prove that this doesn't work. Um, you know, I, I made certain investments in ooyah and did certain things, but it obviously didn't work. I mean, the suggestion that just because Amazon's name is uh, imprinted on the controller and on the box. Doesn't mean it's not still a micro console running Android that is probably not going to see any kind of real support. I think any anytime you have to put the menu and return right. and home button on the that, controller to me implies the UI will actually still require you interact with those elements, and instead yeah. of touching, you'll be toggling through it with the with the with the pad. And and to me, that's that's a disaster. Like that's failure right there. Hmm. I. I I mean, I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I don't want to, you know, discourage any developers in the audience. But I took a risk on the Ouya, and I didn't, you know, I was burned. Right? If you're an Android game developer, though, this gives you another platform to sell your Android game. Sure. If you're already have, if you already have a successful Android game, the effort to port is minimal. But again, getting back to, if you're not putting a lot of effort into the port. What's the quality of your game going to be like on this specific platform? Right? I'll tell you what my theory is. Is I think any device that's hooked up in your living room has to be crazy performant. And I think the reason why the Chromecast mm-hmm. has been has been successful is because really all of the menu selection and all of the content selection is happening on your fast, powerful smartphone. And then you just have this dumb little Chrome stick streaming it. Uh, and uh, on the Apple TV, you know, they've actually got like what the A6 processor in the Apple right. TV. Um, it's running iOS, but they've they've slimmed it down. So the very few things that Apple TV actually does, it, it does has really well. Yeah, it has yeah. the performance to do it. Um, and I think one of the reasons why the Xbox is the number one Netflix device is or was at one point. Now I think it's the PlayStation. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, you know, it performs very well. And the Roku, I would say the Roku is on the edge of performance requirements. And for me, when I'm building a home theater PC, I put an SSD drive in that because it has to be snappy. So here's what's up. I'm looking at this controller. I see the Android back button, the Android home buttons, an Android menu button. And then on the bottom there, I see uh, rewind, play, pause, fast forward. Right, because you got those Amazon Prime videos you got to watch. So this feels like it's just this is not even a focused game console. This is the Amazon box. Right. Uh, and it's their Roku with maybe more of a gaming flair to it, right? Amazon Video, I'm sorry, just isn't compelling to me. Yeah, yeah, I agree there too. I think that might be part of it is their their content ecosystem is yeah. is I mean, a little on the weak side. From a dev perspective, if you already have a successful Android game, and you're willing to invest in making it really cool on the Amazon box and actually take advantage of the unique features of the box in terms of the controller, etc. Go ahead. Well, let me ask you this though. Let's let's just be crazy and uh, let's just totally fantasize. And Holy crap! Yeah.
let's pretend like this thing's massively successful. Or not even massively. Let's say this thing is as successful as like the Apple TV or the or the um, uh, the uh, the Chrome stick, right? What if what if this is what leads to the death of consoles? Is tablets, Apple TVs, Chrome sticks, Roku's, Amazon box? All it's like it's you know getting attacked from all of these different fronts all the time. Um, you think maybe? Maybe these things will kill off the game console eventually. You know, I don't think so. The reaction to the from the core gaming market to you know the FPS, the frames per second, um, the performance differences between the two current consoles makes me think that there's a big enough market that's not willing to compromise. Still, yeah, yeah, and these are compromised devices. That's these exactly are by right. their nature compromises, right. right? Right. There's compromise where you limit what the device can do so that way it's a good device for that specific task. And then there's compromise where you try to do too many things that the actual experience is compromised. Uh, Windows 8! Uh-huh. All right. Well, uh, speaking... Oh, 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 oh. Speaking of no compromise, I want to thank Ting. This is our final sponsor this week, and I love Ting. Go over to coderadio.ting.com to get started. This is a no compromise mobile service. Ting is mobile that makes sense. There's no contracts, and you only pay for what you use. And on top of that, you guys know this is an important issue for me, total control. The Ting dashboard is like, I mean, when I saw this, I was like, okay, well, from now on, this is a requirement of all cellular providers to try to even match the Ting dashboard. And then what I love about Ting is they treat the dashboard as like a feature. Like they, this is the 2.0 version of the dashboard. And then later on, they'll roll out another version because this is part of the Ting experience. This is the part they focus on. They also have companion Android and iOS apps. Ting now also supports the iPhone 5, 4, and 4S. You can go through the Ting dashboard and manage your billing, see exactly where your usage is at, activate, deactivate phones, set up individual profiles for any device on your account. So if you have multiple devices, like in a small business, or like me, I just have a couple of devices, I can set up nicknames, I can do caller ID, call forwarding, where it goes when the call's busy. I can set up individual caps or alerts. So like I'm going to give Rekai the HTC One when he lands. And if I want to know, all of a sudden Rekai is using like 10 gigs of data, send me a ping about that. You know, that kind of stuff is just nice. And it makes managing your Ting account even easier than before. And by the way, Ting has a ton of great devices that when you buy them, you own them outright. And this is something that I extremely encourage. You got to vote with your wallet and you don't need to amortize the cost of that phone over that two-year contract. That's a waste of your money. Go own that device now. And Ting supports all kinds of great devices like the Nexus 5, the Samsung Galaxy Mega Black. They're adding support for the uh, Samsung Galaxy S5 soon and the new HTC One when that ships. They've got the current HTC One as well as the Samsung Galaxy S4 and some value products as well like the Kyocera Kona for $63. No contract, no early termination fee. You buy that. If you just need like a phone for emergencies or a phone where you're just making calls, I know that's a crazy concept. I know nobody does that, right? But if you just need a phone to make calls or something you just need to use on occasion, for $63 when you visit coderadio.ting.com, you'll get the Kyocera Kona for $63, no contract, no early termination fee, pay for what you use. Flat $6, and then it's your usage and taxes after that. Go check them out. Try out that savings calculator. If you've just been kind of toying with the idea, I encourage you to try out that savings calculator. They've got it linked right on the front page of coderadio.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. All right. So there was a very uh, flame-baity uh, title that uh, I saw crop up, and you grabbed it. You said, we got to talk about this. The title of this guy's post is Rails is a Ghetto. 
He said, and, I, and this is from the Post, I've more or less kept my mouth shut about some of the dumb and p- plain evil stuff that goes on in the Rails community. As things would happen, though, I'd take notes, collect logs, and I started writing this little essay. As soon as I was stable and didn't need Ruby on Rails to survive, I told myself I'd revamp my blog and expose these Fs. He actually uses the F word. So, Mr. Dominic, uh, did we just step into a massive dev hoopla? What's going on here? Yes, this is pretty massive. I mean, I've read through this thing um, a few times now and most recently last night. Some of his complaints are super valid and stuff I've noticed too. Some of them are he doesn't like what it could be called consultant culture, right? I mean, his last uh, entire half a page long section called Fighting Consulting Firms is kind of silly. Um, you know, the reason you're you're hiring a consulting firm in a lot of cases is that you cannot hire or are unwilling to go through the process of hiring in-house staff. He alleges that, and I'm not going to name names, but he alleges that there's some sort of, or very strongly implies, um, I don't know, Chris, let's say resume padding on some of these Rails consultants. Oh, really? And rate padding. <laughs> um, and I think he's... A little exaggeration, perhaps? Well, the problem is a consulting rate is always going to be higher than an employee hourly rate because you have to pay all these extra taxes and there's cost of being in business, stuff like that. So I don't know. He doesn't give numbers, so I'm not sure how valid his complaint is. And certainly if people are making up experience for their consultants, that's a little different. That's obviously a problem. Um, that's, a, that's a problem, though, in every industry. Right, that's a consulting – that's when you work with one of those – you know consultants that are staff augmentation rather than just black box consulting and when i say black box you hand them the project they do it they give it back i I just don't know of any industry where you don't have somebody in there that's exaggerating or bragging or or downright lying to get the job yeah i mean some of the things he complains about on that front just sound like marketing yeah that he doesn't like that the rails culture is very buzzwordy and marketing which all right i mean sure um you know, one thing is demand that no employees can, no employees of the consultant can leave to work on another project. Almost no consulting firm is going to agree to that, right? Ever, right? So some of this stuff is kind of silly. But where he starts, um, where he starts, and he does name one company in particular that he doesn't like, which I'm not going to bother with. He gets a little interesting, kind of at the beginning of his, uh, shall we call it rant where he talks about individuals in the Rails community. Again, I'm not going to bother with his individual complaints about them or name names. Um, but certainly Rails in particular has been one of the more open communities in terms terms of the backgrounds of the developers. I mean, there are a lot of, that I know, very high-priced Rails consultants that have never sat a day in a CS class. And underpinning a lot of this guy's criticism is is he doesn't like that. Mm. Um, and, you know, he... I, I don't want to go into it because, frankly, some of this isn't fit for the air and a lot of it's very nasty. But he logs out IRC conversations he had with people and they just turn into name-calling sessions, right? Yeah, I saw a little bit of that. There are a few, um, I would say, fair criticisms that he brings up. For instance, the Rails culture has become very insular, right? Um, Rails folks tend to reject outside ideas. 
you know, they tend to be a little dismissive if you're perhaps championing another platform such as Java or Scala. Yeah, I think in my every- anecdotal experience, I've, I've, I would probably agree with some of those observations, especially but, from people that are more prominent Rails developers. Right, but isn't that every platform? And, you know, the company he goes to, has an issue with is a very large Rails consultancy that started off as one of those indie hipster shops. Well, their entire business is Rails, so of course they're going to be hostile to you trying to suggest that Rails isn't always the right solution, right? Um, and I don't think it's any worse than in the, you know, if I walked into a .NET developer group and told them how fantastic Java was, that they wouldn't tell me to go hit the bricks, right? Maybe the maturity level or the way I would be told to take a walk is different. I can't really speak to that. You know, my thing is, do I do some Rails? I've done a lot of Rails. I never really got involved with the Rails community just because they're not people I would normally hang out with. Um, I don't know why this guy feels so upset. It's, you think, you know, I've seen this happen a lot. And I, I wonder if this is a sort of a form of purging burnout. Like you go through, you go through something um, and sort of a lot of times we, and I'm not trying to downplay this guy's experience, uh, but a lot of times we will create enemies. And while maybe somebody, people have done wrong things, we will attribute more blame to that person right. than it deserves. And we will hold them responsible for something. And it, it sort of creates this dynamic inside you that maybe just he needed to get out. Because, yeah, I'm reading this. I mean, bolding all over the place, super long, angry, lots of swearing. I mean, he, he goes in, you know, over, this is a quote, over and over again, I'd run into these morons who would offer me tiny jobs, no jobs, insult my intelligence, treat me like all I can do is code. And when I didn't fit that mold... Or wanted to charge them for the privilege, they cheat me or laugh at me. See, it sounds to me like there's the potential. The flip side could be maybe he's not presenting himself correctly right. or selling or himself maybe, correctly. maybe he had a few clients that defrauded him. It happens, right? Yeah. I mean, sometimes clients stiff you. It happens all the time. Um, I mean, that's just something. You know, he claims to be a pretty experienced guy. I don't know him. But my only thing was like, dude, if these guys aren't treating you well, and don't deal with these guys. Yeah, we'll have a link to the full post in the show notes if you guys want to read it. But uh, <clears throat> I mean, he has some pretty, yeah, pretty well-known names in the Rails communities that supposedly have slighted him or that he feels are. And he's going to continue on. He says, "This is a long rant, and I'm writing in serial form." Stay tuned for yeah, more, more about Ruby conferences and why they suck. Um, you know, to me, this sounds like. Also, something starts out as one thing, and then it becomes commercialized, and it becomes an industry, and then it becomes something else. Well, so one of the issues is he has a section called the hysteria of consultancy, where he complains that you know consultants are charging consulting rates, but not managing the project in that black box fashion I discussed before. I have never seen a case, particularly at Fingertip, we always want to do the black box, right? We want to manage the whole project. Yeah, you have more control, case, and right. you, yeah. The only cases we don't is when the client is insistent that they manage it. So I, I'm not sure that some of, again, some of his anger, if people really did do these things that he claims they did, that's a personal thing and that's, you know, not great. But his whole thing about consultants, no consultant ever wants to be integrated with your team unless if they don't have to, right? That's why they're a consultant. Right. They would much rather just take over the project. So, 
that he he's suggesting that this one company in particular is scamming these people. Eh, I don't think they. I mean, unless their business model is radically different than every other consulting company I've ever heard of, um, they're probably doing what people are demanding of them. Now, and they're it, probably answering a market need. So this to me all just sounds like honeymoon bubble popping, where uh, you, a market goes from sort of almost kind of startup-y feeling, unique, um, innovative, um, dynamic, and, and competitive, where then as you anytime you add more people like think back think back to like twitter like twitter used to be a great way to connect with geeks and then celebrities started joining and average people you know that just have never used a computer beyond basic web browsing started joining and the quality of twitter diluted now that doesn't mean there's not still interesting posts from interesting people that have insights uh, but it does mean there's also just a lot more crap out there and sort of the honeymoon period is over it's no longer sort of that unique fun thing anymore uh, and I it, couldn't you just apply that same sort of scenario to something like the Rails community? It sort right. of started out as an underdog and then became Absolutely. a big commercial industry. Absolutely, and you know I don't know this person, and I should probably have mentioned his name, but Zed so effing awesome is his name Z S F A Zed so effing he doesn't he spells it out awesome so um I mean and it's harmful dot cat dash v dot org is his website. This is winning. Yeah, I don't know. A lot of it sounds like to me that the Rails community, like all large communities, has become kind of hierarchical, and someone's upset that he is not in the inner circle, right? Right. And um, when you look at the way he's communicating, that kind of might indicate why he's had some troubles. I mean, one thing you—the one thing that you said that jumped out at me—is um, clients clients expect of you exactly what you set. So. Um, if you are not getting the results from your clients you want, then you are not properly setting the table for those results. And at the end of the day, every now and then you get a weird off client that you just no matter what you do, I, I you know what? I, I did have a client who was just convinced I was scamming him, even though it was like the hardware oh, manufacturer yeah. didn't ship on time. And you know, and there's just no convincing of him. No, it doesn't matter what expectations I set. But if you've ever had somebody who just thinks you're a code monkey and doesn't maybe have any design or whatever that whatever it is that they're ignoring of you. And that's probably because you're not properly communicating and setting those expectations for them. And I am reading through his email, you know, between all the swearing and the fact that he actually has swearing in his own name on his on his blog post. It just to me seems like maybe he didn't quite lock into those right communication channels. I mean, I, I've written, you know, a number of incredibly critical blog posts about the Mac and iOS developer communities, but I've never gone out of my way to curse them out. Yeah, he uh, must be well known because it's getting a lot of attention. Yeah, I, I think I know who he is, but I don't want to say. Okay. Pretty sure I know who he is. But it's, I mean, I don't know him personally, but I read his stuff before. He's never happy. One thing I would say is, it, you know, he obviously cares about the Rails community. Mm-hmm. Right? You wouldn't yeah. devote, I mean, this thing is long. I mean, this is. And this he's going to keep going. Right. This is a serious opus here. Yeah. Uh, you know, and just like my criticisms of the Mac, I care about the Mac community. And and uh, believe me, I I totally sympathize with there being like a boys club or a little cabal in uh, certain communities. But you're never going to get into it if you're not in it, right? Yeah, they the just Charum, have to find another path. Jerem says he is the hard the hard way guy, <laughs> so yeah, that explains it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what it is. Like, it's just not going to happen. So devote your energy somewhere else. And right, that can be know, a hard I, thing to come to terms with. I think. Right. Well, I mean, a lot of I mean. You and I have talked about this privately. One app will be more successful than the other based on someone retweeting it. Yeah. 
that can be a crushing experience. Right. It's like, wow. So but it all comes down to that. Because he's friends with him. I mean, that, that thing happens. One project can be, unfortunately, you're better off just going your own way. And I, I, you know, I sympathize with this writer if he really got stiffed or if they didn't pay him or whatever happened. Um, but I would caution that this is not the way to present your argument. I will, uh, I will put a link to his book, uh, learn Python the hard way in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. So we're not, yeah. Yeah. So there you go. You guys can check out his work. Uh, yeah, it's not gonna, it's not, and it's not gonna change anything either, right? That's, that's sort of, so, you know, to take your example, just to bring it a little, little more local, where you create, you have competing apps, one gets created maybe even a little bit before the other one, but right. the other one gets a few prominent uh, people to tweet it, and right. all of a sudden, now that other app owns the charts, and it moves your app out of, off the radar. That is like, that's particularly hard, because it's not like, it didn't come down to code, didn't come down to quality, it came down to, just straight up exposure. And that is such a hard thing, you know, or for me, like on my side, on my end of the spectrum, you know, I've had to turn shows off that I personally love and really wish they would get more traction, but they, you know, and there's always a group who love them, but it just isn't, you know, enough. And it can be really, you know, especially when you really commit to a show, it can be really hard to, to, to just have to stop doing it. If it doesn't make the right market. Yeah, I mean, any product or project, it's tough to kill if it's not successful, but you eventually have to. Um, you know, and, and I know this person, you know, he's he's not going to be crying for money anytime soon. I mean, he's fairly prominent himself. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I would just say if you don't like a particular community or you don't think they're treating you fairly, don't be there. Hmm. Right, it's like going to a bar and saying all the food is crap and the meat's rancid. So I guess the flip side of the argument could be if you think it's if you think the community is worth fighting for, shouldn't you use a prominent position to try to push people into making the changes they need to make it better, even if you can only change it a little? Or you could fork it. I mean, that's probably a crazy solution, but well, like you know, that that is sort of maybe like. It, that's almost unneeded. Like if it's really just a people problem and not a technology problem and you have the, like, let's flip this around. Like, so you mentioned like you care about the Mac community and sometimes you'll criticize it because you know, they're doing something you don't like and you want to have a, you know, the Mac platform to be successful. Right. Well, okay. So let's take uh, like John Gruber. Let's say, um, let's say Apple decided gatekeeper has to be turned on by default for everything. And right. people really didn't like that. And John Gruber, let's say he was one of them. And he could use his position at Daring Fireball, which gets a lot of Mac audience, right. to maybe push the direction of the conversation to maybe roll that back a little bit. Um, do you think – I think that's different though because in the case of Apple, there's a corporation who will almost always do what's in the best interest of profit. In the case of these communities, there's a lot of ego. In particular in the Rails community, there's a lot of kind of rock star crap going on. Uh, <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, the, and the other thing is, you know, Rails has made some changes that even I find frightening. I mean, he had, the points made in this post are not invalid other yeah. than the way they're presented. Right. A lot of these points are fair. Right. Some of, in particular, some of the, the quickness to adopt super new bleeding edge stuff um, and try to put that in production yeah. scares the crap out of me. Right. So yeah. the, there's, and we talked about this a couple months ago. One of the reasons I was backing away from deploying Rails is because I was getting a little uncomfortable with that the default path was all this new, untested stuff. Yeah. So it, I think there a, is a category of people now, 
and I'm starting to, I think I'm starting to find myself in this where I believe that everything new and old is always busted and there is just as many problems with the old stuff as there is with the new stuff it's just a different set of problems and one That's is a little more knowable right but if you're comfortable fixing then it's not that much of a, de- a deterrent so I think you know I don't know if I don't know I don't know if I'd put the way rails I would I don't know if I'd put that in the bad ca- uh, column I mean it's probably not best for stability but uh, I think there's a certain group of developers and people out there who just prefer to live on the edge like that. And I think that's one of the nice things about having so many options. You can just do that. Yeah. Right? I can go and do something a little more conservative and someone else who's maybe taking a little more risk can be an asshole and deploy Node. I mean, these are... (laughs) Sorry, I saw your thing in the chat room and I had to hit you. No, I'm kidding, but... Ding! Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've beaten this to death and we're coming towards the end of the show. I would just say... You know, I almost didn't want to cover this article yeah. because of the inflammatory nature. And I would say this is definitely a uh, – you need to separate the anger from, from the points or else it's just going to seem super childish. So uh, you guys can read the whole post, uh, link to the show notes. We want your feedback though. So anything we've talked about today, we'd love to chew on that. Well, we just ran through our mailbag. The mailbag is now empty. So go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and click the contact link and choose Coda Radio from the drop down. You can also just email us directly, Coda Radio at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Although the contact link kind of gives you better chances because robots hand deliver those messages. And then also there's the subreddit. I checked that before every Coda Radio starts, codaradio.reddit.com. We also link uh each episode in there so you can just uh, leave feedback specific if it's something quick and short right in there and uh we'll check that too yeah and to to be clear something i didn't mention the reason we're sharing this now it was written some time ago because it's come up in conversation again people have reposted it commented on it. yeah i've actually uh, no i actually saw it come up over uh this weekend so i actually thought it was new because i saw it getting reposted it's not a new fight it's just kind of restarted (laughs) right well like the term said it's it's an old fight remembered and i think it's what's interesting is uh, and I think maybe this is probably the most important point is this is about the Rails community. But as right. the Linux community grew, these types of arguments came up as the PHP community grew. Uh, so uh, if you out there have experienced one of these kind of wake ups, you know, where the honeymoon all of a sudden came crashing down and you were upset about it. We'd like to hear you from your perspective because it's not just Rails. It's every it's everything. It's, it turns out I think it's the humans. That's what I think. That's that's what I Damn suspect. People. Yeah. All right, Chris, where can they find you online? Well, why don't they head over to twitter.com slash Chris L-A-S, or they can find me at plus Chris Fisher on the G+, which is powered by Google. What about you, Mr. Dominic? Where can folks find you throughout the week? Why don't they just go to fingertip.technology? Hey, fingertip.technology. Now, that's a top-level domain for the ages, my friend. And it's easy to remember, too. Fingertip.technology. Don't forget, we do this show live on a Monday over at 9 a.m., noon eastern that's jblive.tv for the video and jblive.info for the audio and you can always find out in your local time when that is by going to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar now we want to hear from you so go over there and click that contact link so we can read your feedback next week all right everyone thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of coda radio see you right back here next week